The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you so much for joining us here on Winning Ponies. I hope you all had a slew of winners using your easy win forms. I know one guy that... uh, reached into the tools at Winning Ponies and uh, ended up having to go to the IRS window. And we're going to talk to him in our second segment, and that would be the man I admire, admire. Uh, not only are we going to talk uh, Breeders' Cup and uh, some of the winners he pulled down through the offices of Winning Ponies, but we're going to handicap what I believe is the only two graded stakes races this week, this Saturday for sure, at Churchill Downs, we've got the Chaluki. It's a grade two, $200,000. And on the East Coast at Aqueduct now on Long Island, it's the Long Island Handicap, a grade three, $200,000. Both of them wide open races, in my opinion. Now, before we catch up with Ed, uh, we're going to talk to uh, one of my favorite uh, journalists, and that would be Gary West. I got to spend some time with him over the weekend at Keeneland at the Breeders' Cup. Uh, He always has great insight and analysis to what happens in racing. So Gary's going to uh, share his thoughts about the Breeders' Cup with us. Uh, Of course, some of you probably still have goosebumps after the Breeders' Cup Classic and American Pharaoh's romp in there. And then I'm going to keep Gary on for a second segment because he has co-authored a book with a good friend of mine, award-winning writer Bob Fortas. Uh, The name of the book is Ride to Win, an inside look at the jockey's craft. And let me tell you, if you like racing, you will love this book. And don't forget, Christmas is closing in on us, so it might be a a great thing to put on your list to uh, put under the tree for a a horse player that you know and love. Well, I'm sure Gary and I are going to talk a lot about the Breeders' Cup Classic. Hope you were there. Hope you were somewhere where you got to see it. It was just fantastic. American Pharaoh uh, was just awesome. I believe that they did say that he recorded a 120 buyer in that, and um, we'll get to the details. But uh, he is uh, no longer trackside. American Pharaoh arrived at Coolmore three days ago, uh, ready to begin the next chapter of his life. He came in with a police escort, walked to a cool, calm, and collected off. There's videos up there uh, if you want to if you want to check it out. And uh, he took over the stall of the horse named Grand Slam. And, of course, what he did last Saturday was record the first Grand Slam and winning the Triple Crown 
and the Breeders' Cup Classic, facing older horses for the first time. And while the field wasn't big in numbers, it had plenty of class, but they could not catch American Pharaoh. So he'll kind of wind down right now. Uh, he's going to be in a paddock right next to uh, Thunder Gulch, who at 23 is kind of cool, calm, and collected himself. And after that, it's pretty easy. He'll get into a routine. He gets turned out first thing in the morning, about 6.30, uh, then he's brought in for lunch, groomed. Uh, of course, he'll be checked out by vets. And then uh, he's going to uh, have his first big date pretty soon. To have, he'll be test bred just to show him exactly how that works. And then uh, when the breeding season starts, uh, he wakes up at 7.30 in the morning and uh, gets another date at 1.30 and, if needed, goes back at 6 o'clock. Of course, American Pharaoh is the first Triple Crown winner to stand at stud since affirmed was retired in 1979 and the first available to breeder since Seattle Slough died in 2002. Now, the announcement will be made about his stud fee in the coming days. So American Pharaoh retires with a final record of nine wins and a second from 11 starts, earnings of $8,650,300. That classic triumph put him fourth all-time in purse earnings among all North American-trained horses, only behind Curlin, Cigar, and Skipaway. Just to review his resume, he was you know, named the two-year-old champion in 2014 with back-to-back -back victories in the Del Mar Futurity, which is a grade one, and the grade one front-runner stakes. You may recall he missed the Breeders' Cup juvenile with an issue in his left front foot, and ever since then, he races in a special shoe with a protective metal plate, and that's under the guidance, of course, of Bob Baffert. Uh, the Kentucky Derby, he won by a length over firing line, then took the Preakness by seven lengths in that driving rainstorm from tail of the verve, and then lasted over Frosted, who he raced against in the Classic in the Belmont Stakes. Uh, unbelievable. You know, if you go back, he, he suffered an only defeat this year um, in the Traverse Stakes where a lot of things didn't go his way. He got cooked by Frost and Keen Ice ran by him at 16-1. to 1. And he won the Breeders' Cup from Gate to Wire as the 3-5 to 5 favorite. Hope you have a collector's ticket with you. And uh, made history as the first Triple Crown winner to run in the World Championship. Of course, the other ones didn't have the chance. And yes, uh, Dick Girardi verifies that uh, while numbers can't define greatness, they can confirm it, and that uh, he woke up on Sunday morning and did see the buyer speed figure of 120. If you think about it, this horse has just reeled off 100-plus buyers ever since he was a, a two-year-old uh, with two 101 and pair of one runaways, those races I mentioned. Then when he came back as a three-year-old, and when amounted to paid workouts in Arkansas, he had buyers of 100 and 105. His Kentucky Derby buyer was 105. So consistency is what breeders want to see, and the fact that he could do that is going to attract nothing but the, the best of mares. Now, prior to the Classic, his 109 buyer in the Haskell was his best figure of the year, and now that uh, Baffert had a chance to rest him, he came in and reeled off the 120 in the Classic. Now, to put that number in perspective, the last three-year-old to get a buyer number of 120 was Bellamy Road in the 2005 Wood Memorial, and the last distance horse of any kind to go that high was Quality Road. That was back in 2010 where he got a 121. So 
Uh, he was consistent, and we got the numbers to prove it. Now, Liam's map who put in a sensational race, and Honor Code, who finished up uh, in, in the Classic, are now at Lane's end, and they are both settled in and set to go to stud there. Uh, I want to ask Gary about Liam's map because usually he's a front runner, and they had him bottled up pretty good, but he was able to rally from fourth to win the Las Vegas Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile by two and a half lengths. Honor Code was uh, racing in the $5 million classic, and he closed late for third. Now, Honor Code, uh, son of AP Indy, retires with $2.5 million in earnings. Liam's map, $1.3 million. So uh, certainly a, a great addition to the stud farm at Lane's end. Now, uh, here's some good news. Uh, keep an eye out this weekend because uh, California Chrome might be breezing. They say they want to bring them back just kind of a slow quarter mile in about uh, 25 seconds. Uh, trainer Art Sherman uh, says that he's looking great. Uh, he has this great big double stall there now. He's doing good. He's training on the bet, probably go a quarter and 25. He's pre- training pretty aggressively and getting with the program. Now, you may recall that uh, California Chrome hasn't raced since finishing second in the $10 million Dubai World Cup in the United Arab Emirates. That was last March, and they're going to be point to that race again this year. Uh, as you know that uh, he... Didn't fare well in Europe, uh, and then prepping at Arlington, they found a bruise on his cannon bone, and uh, he spent the late summer at TaylorMade Farm in Kentucky, and they bought out Steve Coburn's share in California Chrome, and so we are going to get to watch him race another season, and I'm happy to hear that. They say that the San Pasquale Handicap at Santa Anita on January 9th is his potential comeback race. Well, uh, we we did it again. Uh, NBC had the best telecast since 1995, and deservedly so. It just goes to show uh, the brilliance of American Pharaoh attracting the American public. And uh, it was not since Bailey Road Cigar that they had a rating near this one. The uh, rating was up 53% from last year. Don't forget that... Uh, uh, California Chrome was in that race, so uh, you had a top horse up 53%. Well, uh, they give out the Bill Shoemaker Award at Keeneland. Uh, they give it out at whatever track the Breeders' Cup is at. And Ryan Moore, who won two races and finished second in two others, won the 13th Bill Shoemaker Award this year at Keeneland. Uh, he joins uh, such people as uh, Garrett Gomez, Frankie DeTore, Junior Leperu, John Velasquez, and Mike Smith. So, Ryan Moore, congratulations. This is a topic I want to talk to Gary West on, and that would be Maria Burrell, who was dismissed as the trainer of Breeders' Cup sprint winner, Run Happy. So, somebody's going to be unhappy. After that information, um, a lot's going to be going on there. Uh, it, it has been confirmed that uh, he was transferred uh, back uh, to um, his very original trainer, uh, Maria Burrell, uh, not happy about it. It looks like the uh, racing manager, Laura Wollers, uh, is going to be taking over the horse. A lot of people say it could have been handled in a, in a much different fashion 
she did a fantastic job with the horse. Uh, once he went to her barn, he won all five of his starts, including two grade one events. So, again, we'll, uh, we'll chime in with uh, Gary West on, on that situation and everything else uh, involved in the Breeders' Cup. And, as you know, we're going to be going to Aqueduct uh, in our handicapping segment. The Belmont meet is over, and it looks like the Ramses once again came away as the overall winners of the owners. Chad Brown picked up his fifth consecutive Belmont training stakes, and Irad Ortiz Jr. topped the Belmont meet. And if you were looking at the sales ring, remember champion, Take Charge Brandy, she went for $6 million at the Keeneland November sale that took place right after the Breeders' Cup. Well, there's plenty more to talk about. You can check us out on Winning Ponies, but right now we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Gary West. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, one of the most respected journalists in thoroughbred racing, uh, Gary West. Uh, uniquely, he is the son of a jockey who then became a trainer, uh, but uh, kind of took a different path to the backstretch. Uh, he was, he was a, taught writing and American literature at the University of Tennessee and uh, published scholarly articles, but somehow the backstretch lured him back, and we are much better for it. Of course, he wrote for many years with the Dallas Times-Herald, the Dallas Morning News, and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Enough about his resume. I want to talk to the man. Gary, it was great seeing you over Breeders' Cup weekend, starting with the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters Award Banquet. Well, it sure was. It was a great week for the sport, I thought, and a wonderful venue at Keeneland. I believe many people uh, went to Lexington with, 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 with some hesitation and uh, some doubt about Keeneland's ability to handle the event. 
but it was a beautiful venue, and I think everything went off quite well despite the weather. So it was, I think, one of the one of the the, the better Breeders' Cups. Certainly, it produced uh, every champion that horse racing will uh, have, and we saw some spectacular racing as well as a glorious culmination of a terrific career. Yes, and I too have to give a tip of the cap to the people at Keeneland. It seemed as though at every got it right. Um, speaking from a personal viewpoint, they made sure that the media was well taken care of with information and fine food and quarters you were in, and uh, that uh, they pulled it off well. I mean, although they, they set a crowd record, you could still kind of get around where you had to go. Um, they, they did a great job, as always, G.D. Hieronymus and his staff with the, with the video. And, again, so many people were doubters that it was just going to be overwhelming. And I really think, Gary, that they have postured themselves to put their hat in the ring for a subsequent Breeders' Cup. I would agree. If, if, they, if they want another Breeders' Cup, I don't see any reason that they shouldn't get one. They did a fabulous job and everything. Everything was first class. And I, I was... So impressed with the people at Keeneland. I mean, the the elevator operator, the the, the people who were manning the uh, the shuttles. Um, they were just so delightful and charming and upbeat and positive and gracious. I just can't say enough about those people. And uh, they they indeed made everyone feel welcome. You know, uh, a lot of that goes back to the great foundation that Ted Bassett. Uh, grew at that track, Gary. And you know what's interesting is a guy as experienced that he was, when he took over Keeneland, he went down to Disneyland and took their course. You know, Disneyland has an outstanding school of uh, customer service. And Mr. Bassett himself went down there and went through the course and then brought that philosophy back with him and passed it on to all of his employees as the fact that, you know, the, the people here are our patrons. They are our guests, and they're to be treated that way. And you're right. From the guy running the elevator to the guy saying good luck when he sells you a ticket, the, the atmosphere there is, is just fantastic. It is. You know, I, I uh, chatted with um, one of the elevator operators who told me that um, she was so thrilled to be working there, and she looked forward every day to coming to work because it was just so beautiful to pull into Keeneland. And and I, I felt the same way when I drove up there in the mornings. Um, it was it was a, a beautiful, beautiful place to host the Breeders' Cup. Yes, and while we did get a few spatterings of uh, you know of rain, it really wasn't outrageously bad weather. So uh, knock on wood, that might happen again. Well, I want to hit some of the Breeders' the big Breeders' Cup races, and I'm, I guess you know with your, your time at a premium, let's go to the top. Let's face it, with Beholder out of the race. It did set up perfectly uh, for uh, American Pharaoh, but let me tell you, he did not disappoint. When he comes away, his final race cruising through the final eighth of a mile and still records a 120 buyer. And, you know, Tonalist, Keen Ice, Frosted, uh, Honor Code, uh, these are not uh, horses you could just throw out. You know, they all have fantastic resumes of their own. So despite the pace scenario, he beat a good bunch, and he went out on top. Well, he did, and I was so glad to see him finish his career that way, not just with a victory, but with a dominating victory. And granted, yes, with Beholder out and Liam's map going in the dirt mile, it did set up for him, and he got away with a pretty easy pace still. 
uh, even at the top of the lane home, uh, he outfinished everyone. You know, uh, Andre Cove was making his run, uh, Keen Ice was making his run, but, but they weren't making up any ground on American Pharaoh, who ran the last quarter in 24 and 3, which is, which is sensational anytime a horse runs that distance and can finish under 25 seconds. You know, that bet is extraordinary. He went the last half mile in 48 and change. Again, extraordinary. And, and basically, uh, never had to be fully extended or ridden hard. If there's anything that uh, we can regret about American Pharaoh's career, it's that we probably never saw his best. You know, he, he was never uh, challenged in, in, in some of his most impressive performances, it would have been it would have been I think thrilling to see what would have happened if uh, Beholder would have made a run at him in the second turn. In that second turn, uh, you know he was cruising along. Espinosa had a pretty good hold of him, and uh, but Mike Smith was on FNX and he was riding FNX to try to get close. And it looked for a moment that American Pharaoh lost a little ground, and someone next to me said. Well, he's done. I said, yeah, it's done all right. And at that moment, Espinosa, uh, you know, jiggled the reins at him, and he just blew away um, the, the field and, and, of course, drew off to win by more than six lengths. But uh, he was just just cruising on the lead through uh, 47 and change, 11 and change for the three quarters. And, you know, a horse that can toss down those kinds of splits and then run a 24 final quarter mile is a great horse. I think he, he defined himself with this performance as much as the Triple Crown as a great horse. And, and that was thrilling to see. Yeah, it really was. And I will say, for, for a brief second, when they came at him, uh, coming into the final turn, I thought, you know, has Victor got enough force? And then all of a sudden, the light went on, and he just found another gear. And then when they straightened out in the stretch, you could see there's no way. And all of a sudden, the goosebumps came up. It was sensational. And, of course, I don't know exactly where you were on the track, but the comeback, uh, the appreciation of the people at Keeneland was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, they knew they were seeing a superstar, and they gave him a round of applause like I had never heard at that track. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, they began giving him a standing ovation at about the 316th pole, and, and, and by, by mid-stretch, they were high-fiving and slapping and embracing each other. It was a thrill to watch, and, of course, they applauded him for several moments after the race. Uh, the Keeneland crowd, the Kentucky crowd, is one that can truly appreciate greatness on the racetrack, and, and, and they showed that after that victory. They absolutely did. Well, uh, we could go over this ground and talk about this race and this horse. I wanted to get your read on, on a couple other things, if I could, Gary. Rewinding to Friday, um, I thought that in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile that we were treated to a very special race in Liam's map and the fact that he showed an entirely new dimension when it looked to me, perhaps through no mistake for a guy that wrote a book about jockeys, um, he got put in a bit of a box and had to work his way out of it, and hats off to Javier Castellano. Well, he did, and he's done this in the past, which is to say just at the break, he'll break a step slowly, and and Matt gave uh, Mr. Z and Joe Bravo and and Lee and I think that was Les Cano, uh, uh, and of course uh, Corey Lannery, who was inside on Bradister, they, that gave them the chance 
to to move in front of him. And and once they did that, they they made sure there wasn't an opening for him to come through. Uh, I mean, they're, they're those are 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 elite jockeys, and they didn't give uh, Castellano and Liam's map an, an easy path to the uh, to the front. And so they they had him in a trap, and they kept him there as long as they could. Until finally, they in some cases just ran out of horse. Bradister started retreating after after well three quarters of a mile, so he couldn't hold Liam's map in the box any longer. And once he found an opening, uh, of course, he drew off the win by by two lengths. But turning for home, you know, Lee had an advantage of of, of uh, I guess it was a couple of links, and even in mid stretch, he was ahead of Liam's map. And Lee is a great one winner. He's a top notch horse himself. And to run down a horse like that in the final eighth of a mile, I thought was uh, indicative of Liam's map's quality. He is uh, a top-notch horse, no question about it. And uh, he, he showed that, that he was um, a, a, a star in his own right. And it, he's going to be, I think, a, a terrific stallion, uh, just like American Pharaoh. You know, he's got the pedigree, of course, he's by unbridled song. But he's got the courage physically. He's he's a knockout, and and he's and he's got that incredible speed. He's going to be a very good stallion prospect as well. Okay, Gary, got a couple of minutes before we we go to our break, but I just wanted to get your feedback um, on what may have been the cruelest cut of them all, and that's a kind of a rags to riches story of of, of Run Happy and and Maria Burrell. And how she has taken this horse to uh, five consecutive uh, wins, including two Grade Ones, and taking the 1.5 million dollar Breeders' Cup Sprint. Uh, do you think that that divorce could have been handled in a better manner, and if it was even necessary? Well, if if it was necessary, and, and I'm not at the barn every day, I, I don't know what, what happened there. Um, so I'm willing to give all parties the benefit of a doubt. But if it was necessary, it certainly should have been deferred for a delayed for a couple of weeks because coming right on the heels of this horse's Breeders' Cup victory, it, it just um, was, it was inappropriate, and, and the timing was horrible. And um, particularly after the horse ran so sensationally, and after during the, the week, Miss um, Burrell got uh, so much uh, publicity and so much attention, um, brought attention to the horse. And, of course, the horse, being uh, such a, a freak of nature himself, brought attention to himself as well. And to her, it was, uh, it was a time for everyone to, to just settle down and, and cool off and let things uh, um, you know, find their, their, their right level, and then, and then let's talk it over again. So I, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, well, I mean, I've heard what happened, but, but there has to be more to it than just that. So uh, uh, I, I think that um, the most unfortunate thing about this is the timing, and, and I, I hope Ms. Burrell ends up uh, finding a good you know, a good spot and uh, can go on and continue training horses. I'm confident that Run Happy has a bright future. He looks to me like a horse who, with no trouble at all, can stretch out to a mile, and if not farther. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him among the leaders of the uh, among older horses next year. I wouldn't either. His sire, a super saver, was known to stretch out uh, a little bit himself. Well, uh, we're talking with award-winning writer Gary West and. 
Speaking of writers, he hooked up with another great writer, my friend Bob Fortas, and wrote Ride to Win, an inside look at the jockey's craft, a book I have just been eating up for the last couple of days. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to change topics a little bit from Breeders' Cup to jockeys. We're talking with Gary West. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, of course, is Gary West. Oh, it was uh, about 28 years ago I got the chance to uh, work down at New Orleans as the publicity director at the fairgrounds, and I got to befriend a great columnist by the name of Bob Fortas, of course, for the big races. I was introduced to Gary West when he showed up, and uh, Bob and Gary have teamed up to run uh, to write a fantastic book called Ride to Win, an inside look at the jockey's craft. Of course, uh, Gary, his father being a jockey, that sure didn't help. But I'll tell you what, one of the best boots on the ground guys uh, I've ever come across in racing journalism is Bob Fortas. Uh, he, he gets his teeth in the story and he's on the backstretch. He knows the horsemen. They trust him. They open up to him. And between these, these two gentlemen, uh, they've put together a fantastic book. Obviously, I'm going to tell you how to get it. If you know anybody that's needs to get something special at Christmas, Ride to Win is a, what you want to get, and I'm guessing that when the fairgrounds open, uh, these guys uh, that have uh, roots in New Orleans will probably be doing some book signings. Again, Ride to Win is the name of the book. Uh, uh, Gary, uh, talk to, ironically, Bob called me today from out of the blue, had no idea you were going to be on the show, and kind of gave me the backdrop on how, how you guys teamed up. Quite frankly, I've never really gone to a major racing venue like the Breeders' Cup or the Derby where I haven't seen you guys about 10 feet apart from each other. So um, i got to guess it was kind of neat that, that, that two friends, two award-winning journalists could team up for such an effort. 
Well, it, 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 it was. I, I, it was very rewarding. And uh, I should point out, first of all, that the book was Bob's idea. Uh, he conceived of it, and he, and he began it, and, and then we worked together on it. Um, basically, we allowed each other to do what he does best. Um, Bob is, as you said, is just a great reporter, um, one of the best reporters I've, I've ever known. And, and, and I'm more of a um, storyteller, writer type. And so Bob would write it, and I would write it and send it back, and I would write something and send it to him. And, you know, we just sent it back and forth to each other. And um, we, we, didn't, uh, we, we didn't step on each other's toes. I think we acknowledged, you know, I'll be the first to admit Bob's a much better reporter than I am. And, um, you know, we, we allowed each other, again, to do what he does best. And, and the result is, I think, a very good book. The essence of the book is, of course, the stories that the jockeys have told and, and the, the way they approached some of the great races. Um, and in th- this format of analyzing the process of riding horses, um, that format allowed us to get into how some of the great races of the last 30 years were won and lost. You know, how, for example, um, Sunday Silence defeated Easy Goer in that 1989 Preakness. How Cigar lost the um, Pacific Classic and, and his uh, win streak of 16 um, races that came to an end. Um, get inside those those races from the jockey's perspective, and and then we try to tell that story. But uh, the the distance, the temporal distance, um, allowed these jockeys, I think, to speak more candidly about these races than I can ever remember them speaking about them at the time. You know, I was there when when, when Cigar lost the Pacific Classic, and remember very well speaking with Jerry Bailey after the race. And and he he wasn't quite as straightforward in his his is the possibility that, that maybe he contributed or I won't say contributed to the loss, but the strategy he employed was a losing strategy as it turned out. Um and and and, and with the distance and the of time and with his um reflection on that race and having had years now to think about it, he has concluded that the, the strategy he and Bill Mott employed probably got Cigar beat. Otherwise, Cigar would have won. And and the way now that Pat Day looks back on that 1989 Preakness is a little different from the way he probably saw it at the time. And and that's, I think, one of the most um, enlightening things about the book. And the other enlightening aspect of this book is is how much these jockeys go through, and and you know, how how expert they are, how skillful they are, and uh, it, when they explain what they're doing, and they know exactly what they're doing every moment of every race, uh, the best ones anyway. Uh, it, it is quite quite enlightening um, from anyone's point of view. But I think especially from a horse player's point of view, John, if you're reading the book, you're a horse player, you find it very interesting and I think useful from a horse player's point of view what these jockeys had to reveal. 
Absolutely. I mean, right away you grab me with the guys in the gold room because I've been with those guys. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what city or track you're in, but what, what, what is what is neat, I would recommend any young jockey that wants to get in the game that this should be Jockey Book 101. Uh, now, the, the, the book, as you stated, it, it has a logical, linear ordering with the early chapters focusing on pre-race activities, um, then you kind of move into how jockeys, you know, formulate their strategy, uh, their physical preparation, uh, details about what the jockeys are thinking and doing during even the post parade, uh, you know, and how it's all dissected and what they're trying to accomplish not only in the early running uh, but in the mid part of a race uh, and how they encourage a horse to finish. I mean, um, to ride is in a state of constant preparedness, uh, what you've got to worry about and the dangers of the race. It just takes you through the whole thing, and, and you use a really a, a myriad of, 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 of fantastic jockey, jockeys that everybody knows, and uh, some, the, you know, the Brian Hernandez's that, uh, you know, are, are, you know, mid-jockeys that still play an important role, and, uh, you know, well, while I only have got a couple of minutes left here, I must say it was really interesting in how you guys brought out the different styles. That there's so many different roads to success. A starting with hard work in the morning and communication with trainers, but then zoning in on certain jockeys. Let's just say the different styles of Jerry Bailey, who was so methodic. Pat Day, who just had an amazing feel of the horse during the race and when he was going to get that best quarter mile out of him. And Julie Crone, who used the warm up of a race to communicate the horse with positive reinforcement. I mean, it, it's really eye-opening. Well, I, I think as, as I was writing this and um, uh, thinking about it, and a lot of thought went into it, it occurred to me that basically there are, there are two types of jockeys, um, I should say two types of successful jockeys. Uh, one is the, the Jerry Bailey school of riding, which is largely um, intellectual um, and thoughtful. Jerry Bailey planned out everything. He would uh, look at every race, handicap every race thoroughly, even handicap the jockeys and, and have an idea where everybody was supposed to be at every moment of every race. And he was meticulous in his planning. And Pat Day was was totally different. The Pat Day School of Riding is to focus on your horse, communicating with your horse, intuitively getting into the rhythm with your horse, and nobody did that better than Pat Day. That isn't to say the two schools don't overlap. Pat Day took notes on every horse he ever rode, so he was also meticulous in his preparation, but he would tell you that his strength was his feel for a horse and his rapport with a horse, and, and Jerry Bailey would tell you his strength was his preparedness, and and those are very different approaches, and I think those approaches were uh, successful to different degrees with different horses. Pat Day's approach worked with some, and Jerry Bailey's with others, and and I, you can go through most riders today, the successful riders, and say they're one or the other, but in truth, I suppose, most of them have characteristic of, of both schools. That is, they, they try to know the horse, understand the horse, have a rapport with the horse, but at the same time, they have to have a strategy and a plan if they're going to be successful. Well, all I can say is uh, you and Bob Fortas had a strategy and a plan to be successful in writing Ride to Win. Now, 
our listeners are probably chomping at the bit, as we would say, to get their hands on this book. Gary West, how can they, how can they get this, this book, Ride to Win? Because I've got a feeling it's going to be under a lot of Christmas trees. Well, right now, you can uh, order the book by going to Jockey Talk 360. Jockey Talk 360. That's the publisher, and you can buy it directly from the publisher uh, because 40% of the revenue from this book goes to the Permanently Disabled Jockeys Fund. Uh, basically, wow. we wrote this in appreciation of the jockeys, so they're going to get the lion's share of, of the money from, from this book. And right now, buying it directly from Jockey Talk 360, more money goes to the PDJF than if it were bought through a retailer. So right now we're selling it directly to racing fans, and in a few weeks it'll, it'll be in stores and, and on Amazon. But uh, uh, the PDJF gets the most money uh, if, if we uh, sell it directly to the fans, and so uh, that's the way to do it right now. Go to Jockey Talk 360. All right, Gary West, hey, you're one of my favorites. You know that. It was great seeing you over the weekend. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, I, I really uh, can't wait to finish the book. I'm actually 75% of the way through it, which for me is, is hard because it doesn't, doesn't have a lot of pictures in it. <laughs> but it's just fantastic. You and Bob Fortas, you make a great team. I thank you so much for your time and, and wish you nothing but the best, and I'm guessing down the road there'll be a book signing at the fairgrounds coming up too. Well, I think so. I look forward to it. It's always good, uh, good to talk to you. Thanks. All right. We've been talking with Gary West. Going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, going to be talking with the man I admire. That's right. Admire. You're listening to Winning Ponies. school to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a man you are very familiar with, the former host of this show, and I got frequent writer on winningponies.com, Ed Meyer. We had him on before the Breeders' Cup, and now we got him for a recap. Steady Eddie, how you doing, my friend? John, it's great to hear your voice. How you doing, buddy? I'm on the right side of the grass. That's a start. <laughs> you were a busy lad this uh, Breeders' Cup weekend, weren't you? 
Ed, I pulled up lame for two days after. I'm not kidding. I could barely get out of a chair, but it was great uh, being down there. Um, as Gary said, and I'm sure there were doubters throughout the country that a track the size of Keeneland could pull off the Breeders' Cup. We got lucky with the weather. Sure, it was a little cloudy, and we had a little spit of rain, but um, they did a sensational job, and you watched the races uh Pretty much they were, they were run fairly true to form, a few upsets without a doubt, but that's what racing's all about. And, uh, but when we finally got to see that, that Breeders' Cup Classic, it took a while for the chills to go away. I don't think they've yet to go away for me. It's the highest rate of Breeders' Cup in 20 years, John. I mean, I don't think we're alone in, in enjoying what we saw. Keeneland puts on anything that they touch. It actually, if it doesn't work, they go ahead and they, they, they put it aside and they move on to bigger and better things. This is a wonderful thing. You can count on Keeneland being in the rotation. I think you'll see Santa Anita, Del Mar, Churchill, Keeneland, New York, and I don't see any other reason for it. This this was a great, great day of, excuse me, a great weekend of wagering action. It, it, it was not only of wagering action, but of racing action. And quite frankly, let's face it, you know, if racing was a religion, Keeneland would be the Vatican. <laughs> that you know that that's a fair way to put it. So uh, when I actually go down, I'm making a a holy pilgrimage. Yes, you are. As you know, I always called the the Travers a holy race of obligation. And uh, <laughs> to Keeneland, to Keeneland, I, I think it is a pilgrimage. I like that very much, Ed. Very much. Well, listen, t- take a step back and uh, give me your view of the the entire two days of what jumped off the paper to you. You know, you know, John, I, I think after we handicap, for just for, for something you should either work on for the future or everyone should give, go give it a whirl, is go back and see what you did and if there's anything you could have done better. For me, I kicked it off on Fridays, and actually I was right in Winning Pony's hand. I drew down my, my easy win forms. I wasn't going to bet much on day one. I focused on one race, the eighth race, the, the Breeders' Cup, uh, Juvenile Philly Turf, and I took their top three selections. I, because I really wanted to handicap for Saturday, I took their top three selections, no more, no less. I took a look at it. I come out of it, I had a sweet $81.20 exacta. They had Catch a Glimpse and Alice Springs. They ran one, two. And their top pick was Catch a Glimpse, who pays fourteen eighty. Mark Cassie, I know, and he was 31% five to one in the morning incredible. line. Yeah. It, it, and Mark Cassie's having a sensational meet at Keeneland. You know, I mean, he kind of had the home court advantage in there. He sure did, and it was their top pick. So I felt really good about that. It was a, it was a very nice day. I, I hammered their win bet, uh, their top pick. And then I started concentrating on Saturday, which was the best. I, I really played three with winning ponies, very strong. And uh, their, their top three selections, the race that actually did the best, it was when Stephanie's kidding uh, beat the Legacy Siamo. And you're talking about a 1760 horse, Arad Ortiz and, and, and Chad Brown. I mean, would you, would you have played 1760 if you would have thought you could have gotten those kind of prices on, on that tandem? I, you know, to be honest with you, I was really shocked at, at the line there. I'm like, you know, have you really gone back and look at what Stephanie's kitten has done and, and the horses that, she, that she's beaten? Um, you know, I mean, I know she was out of the clouds closer. She was last at, at the half. But, I mean, 
you know, she, she's won $3.1 million, and they had her pegged at 10 to 1. I mean, I understand there's a lot of big talk about this Legia Dismo, um, you know, coming in with multiple grade one wins over in Europe. But, you know, you got the, you got the shipping aspect, and uh, you, you got to factor that in there. And then you got Stephanie's kitten, who, uh, you know, is just, you know, phenomenal. On the weeds, I mean, she won over $2.9 million of her total earnings on the grass and was coming off a really solid flower bowl win, which will reflect on some of the races I think we're going to handicap before we get off the air. Yes, yes, she was solid. And so she popped up big on the easy win forms, and 1760 ain't nothing wrong with that, brother. Oh, heck no. I mean, I, I'm taking the top three selections, John, and you know what? I was also glad to have it in my corner, and give it a whirl if you haven't ever tried it. Not you, but those that are listening to you, give it a whirl. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, and or you can just go back and check the results if you like, and you know, you're only charged for what you use. That's something that you don't get with everybody else because you pay one flat flat free, and if you play one race or all ten. But that's, the, that's one of the big bonuses of Winning Ponies Easy Win Forms. Hey, they were sweet to me, and you know what? I've got a little action to play for this weekend. Well, listen, all right. Well, listen, I, w- I want to get on to uh, the Chaluki and Long Island, but I heard you got a steamer in your back pocket. Give it up, brother. Yes, uh, I, got, I got one tomorrow. I'm going to give you a little uh, a free uh, tidbit here, and this is courtesy of Winning Ponies. It's actually in their top three selections. It's in the fourth race tomorrow, scheduled to go off 215 at Churchill Downs. Number one, Hunter O'Reilly. Uh, sports, uh, sports a should-improve handicapping icon, which should really kind of raise your antenna up. Last race uh, ratings of 53-plus, John. The best part about this is I was on hand to see Hunter O'Reilly close from the clouds and came up a oh, just a head short to Dissident, who exited the grade three Pilgrim, Stakes, which was a very big Breeders' Cup boosting stepping stone. Tomorrow, Hunter yes. O'Reilly in the fourth of Churchill Downs. If you get anywhere near these odds, bet early and often. Well, that's coming from the source, the man I admire, admire, and he <laughs> knows to go to winning ponies. Not that he can't handicap on his own, but the analytics and the work that they put in, the information that they put out is fantastic. Well, uh, Ed, we got about uh, six minutes. That gives us about three minutes per race, and we could probably use 13 minutes per race because we got some evenly matched fields here. Let's start at Churchill Downs in the Chaluki. Uh, I'm scratching my head because in this race, quality field, but there's a lot of horses coming off layoffs, and that's leaving me scratching my head. I know who I kind of zoned in on, but I'm going to want to get your feedback first. Well, actually, there was a great, great article written by your, your, your very good friend, Miss Jenny Reese, about the trainer Dale Romans, who does terrific work at Churchill Downs. That's his home stomping ground. I'm going to go with the one in the Chaluki Stakes. That's Bird at the Wire. Two, two to for your one, which is a very good price, in my opinion. Been laid off since the Kentucky Oaks, but don't fear. Long layoffs, actually, for Bird at the Wire have not hurt this three-year-old filly by Summer Bird John. She's two for three in the money at Churchill. Dale does a yeoman's task down there, and I think that uh, if you actually go back, there was a nice layoff from November all the way to January. She comes back and wins a graded stake right out of a maiden. 
I love Bird at the Wire, especially turning back from a mile and an eighth to a flat mile. And from what I've been seeing on Dale's workout routine, usually it's about his second work back is his best one. And then the next one, I guess, is what they would call just a maintenance work to make sure all the screws are tightened down. But if you take a look at that two two works back on October 17th at Churchill, 101 breezing, uh, 6 of 59, you know there are some real runners down there at Churchill. Churchill, and they're training as well over that deep track and really getting legged up. I love Bird at the Wire. All right. You, well, you know me, Ed. If you're going to bet them, you're going to box them. Bird at the Wire is one of my picks in here. Uh, the, the horse that I feel that she has to chase down is going to be spelling again. And this horse, um, I like formful horses. I think the horse had an excuse in its last in the Turf Club America. Uh, and uh, it was uh, bothered and squeezed early. And uh, Brad Cox, I know you like to look at your stats there, and off the layoff, 30 to 60 days, wins 26% of his races. And quite frankly, most of these horses are kind of stalking styles. Bird at the Wire likes to come out of it, and so do many of the others. And this is the could be the lone speed and could steal it. The other horse I'm going to throw in with Bird at the Wire is Gold Medal Dancer, who's the leading money winner in the field. Right now, not at Churchill, but Donnie Van Helmel is hot right now. He's had three wins from nine starts in the last seven days, and uh, I just think this is an extremely dangerous horse, Gold Medal Dancer. Again, I don't have any odds in front of me, but if you're going to bet him, you're going to box him, I'm going to do Bird at the Wire. Spelling again and gold medal dancer. Your gold medal dancer is five to two. Spelling again is a beautiful eight to one and two to one. A bird at the wire. And you're right about Mr. Von Hemmel. Ever since coming in from Remington Park about oh about twenty years ago now, this guy took it to a whole new level. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, you know the routine. Now we're down to two minutes to post at the Long Island Handicap on Long Island Aqueducts open right now. Um, I've got checks on four horses. Um, my top check, Danza Cavallo, but I cannot overlook Goldie Espinoni, Rosalind, or Mutasis Mutandis. Wow, that's a mouthful. I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to steal Rosalind right from you, John, when you, when you actually made mention. This is a four-year-old filly by Broken Val. It was a million-dollar uh, Faisy Tipton uh, Keeneland sales purchase. And this is second off a layoff, dropping in from grade one. The E.P. Taylor set the pace all the way around, going a mile and a quarter. But fear not, we're dropping in class. If you go back to May 2nd in the grade two Sheepshead Bay, stalked off the pace with Jersey Joe Bravo at Belmont, going a mile and three-eighths. I think this is going to be no problem. This is Junior Alvarado in the saddle for Chad Brown. They're exiting the grade one. They're dropping in class here. Five for nine total in the money. I, I, I think it's a very versatile filly here by Broken Val. And if you, if you need even more proof, go back and watch that Chiefs Head Bay where she actually just was under wraps going a mile and three-eighths. I don't think the, uh, the extra eighth of a mile is going to hurt anyone. But the two Chad Browns, uh, they, they definitely, uh, definitely they need, some, uh, need a hard, hard look. But Rosalind's all for me at six to one. 
Well, you know, Chad Brown and Christopher Clement each have three horses in this race. The, the thing I had was, and I'm not the biggest uh, time guy, but those horses that showed speed had really easy fractions. The horses that, that did well on their front-running efforts were all got, all got a half mile in like 50 seconds, Ed. And uh, I just think that Danza Cavallo, uh, it's last out. The thing is, what I'm looking at doesn't show the splits. But you got to admit, you know, if you run behind Stephanie's kitten who won the Philly Ameriturf, might be a little clue that uh, you got some class with you. I think I think you're dead away right there, John. You're also dropping in class. You've got a that's Jose Ortiz, the brother Ortiz, and he's daggone good at, at it on his worst day. Uh, Chad Brown has a very nice uh, filly here by uh, by Sunday break. I think that you you've hit on something really good there. I think the drop in class, you're getting one of the Ortiz brothers who are both versed at riding on the turf, but as you said, there are three Chad Browns in there and they're one in the one post, two post and three post. So, you know, you might be one of those got to bet them, got to box them type deals for you. <laughs> that or I've got so many I like in here with Matutas Matunas and uh, uh, <laughs> Rosalind and Golden Espy. I might just have to pick one to key on top. But either way, as always, a pleasure to hear your voice. I'm glad you had a great Breeders' Cup day uh, using the, the winning ponies uh, tools. And, Ed, I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Uh, great for you to take the time to be with us. John, thank you. It's my pleasure and honor. And I'll tell you what, hey, thanks for winning ponies. They uh, they carried me, and uh, I'm going to start off November maybe with a little bit of a bang here at Churchill Downs. John, thanks for having me on, and best of luck to all your listeners. All right, we've been talking with the man I admire, admire, and uh, Gary West, who uh, penned Ride to Win, an inside look at the Jockey's Craft with Bob Fortas. I highly recommend this book, and can't wait to get off the phone and finish the other half of it, quite frankly. So uh, we appreciate you listening to us. Pull down those easy win forms as you hear Steady Eddie getting his winners at the window through winningponies.com. And uh, once again, even though it's dark, I'm overlooking the turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. All I can say is when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.